Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of emotional and sexual abuse that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. It was the autumn of 1990 in Oregon's Mackenzie River Valley. The lights flickered off in a rundown trailer where transpersonal therapist White Wind Swan Fisher was in session. Peeved by the sudden darkness, she shouted to her lackeys to kick the generator back on. When the light returned, White Wind asked her patient, Lane Chef, what she wanted to discuss. But Lane was stuck. She took so long to answer, White Wind had time to finish an entire glass of wine. Impatient, White Wind cut to the chase. She told Lane, you want to be held. She patted the seat next to her as if calling a dog to her lap. Lane inched over and lay her head on White Wind's chest. The therapist saw tears well in Lane's shy eyes. She had her patient where she wanted her. She lifted Lane's chin and asked who knew all her secrets. Lane murmured, you do, mama. This made White Wind smile. She said she loved Lane's secrets and that she was the only one who ever would. Even though Lane was an adult woman, she laughed as if a child. That's when the therapist covered Lane's lips with her mouth. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults, a ParCast original. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. You can find all episodes of Cults and all of the ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Cults for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Cults in the search bar. In this week's one-part episode, we're taking a deep dive into the mystical composite cult known as Friends Landing. Originally founded in the San Francisco area in 1983, the organization was run by psychologist, dream coach, and shaman, White Wind Swan Fisher. On the surface, White Wind appeared to be generously focused on helping teens struggling with addiction, promising guidance and recovery in exchange for free labor. But behind the facade, this wolf in sheep's clothing used her rehabilitation facilities to fish for adolescent slaves. We've got all this and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. 
be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. White Wind Swan Fisher was born on June 18, 1954. Her name at birth was Susan Briggs Kilborn. Throughout her life, she's been known by many names, but throughout this episode, we'll refer to her as White Wind Swan Fisher. Raised in various East Coast towns and parts of the South, White Wind never felt settled. As a result, she was a bit of a misfit. She desperately wanted to fit in and learned how to hold someone's attention by letting them talk about themselves. So in 1962, when White Wind was just eight years old, she started playing therapist with her troll dolls. Even in her make-believe office, she wanted to help tiny toy patients change their lives. She didn't want them to feel lost, stuck, or alone. Perhaps her parents' battle against substance abuse and their nasty divorce pushed her in this direction. White Wind often heard her mother, Barbara, crying in the bathroom or saw her struggling to pay the bills. Desperate to help, White Wind tried to find ways to soothe her mom's soul. Barbara reveled in playing White Wind's first human patient. She appreciated the game and felt in her gut that her daughter had a unique ability when it came to empathy and understanding. Barbara wasn't necessarily spiritual, but she did talk to her daughter of their Native American heritage from time to time. Around 1963, she asked nine-year-old White Wind if she knew what a seer was. The young girl's eyes widened as Barbara explained that seers had the power to access supernatural wisdom. They could reach into the hearts of others and make them feel alive. Sometimes seers could even commune with spirits and predict the future. In this moment, White Wind knew her worth. She accepted her mother's hunch as an omen and ran with it. In 1964, 10-year-old White Wind graduated from counseling troll dolls to advising the kids at school. She tried to ingratiate herself to others by claiming she could solve their problems. But many of the children on the playground didn't get White Wind. She claimed that by the time she was 14, nobody wanted to play with her. She felt she was seen by her schoolmates as an outcast, the girl who claimed to hear ghosts and see into the future. For fear of not being accepted, White Wind shut down completely. She kept quiet about her self-proclaimed supernatural abilities and lived what she felt was a great lie. From then on, she never talked about the spirit she heard or the ancestors who guided her. White Wind claimed that she'd see a classmate and suddenly be taunted by voices in her head offering wild predictions. Their brother was going to die soon, or a car accident was coming. But she couldn't breathe a word of these premonitions. If she spoke of them, she'd be mocked, ostracized, and bullied. Vanessa's going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. In her article, Shedding New Light on Hearing Voices, Christine I. Bacho, Ph.D., said... Often hallucinations are auditory. The person is often convinced of the objective reality of the experience. Hearing voices has commonly been thought of as a sign of mental illness, especially of a serious disorder such as major depression with psychotic features. While we certainly can't confirm White Wind actually heard voices, it's a possibility. White Wind was likely also very depressed. Her father was an abusive drunk. 
and when she and her mother finally broke free of him, they had no place to go. They ended up bouncing from town to town in search of a safe place to call home. White Wind claimed that while the voices she heard kept her company, she resented keeping their foreboding predictions under wraps. Eventually, withholding these secrets was too great a pressure. She hated herself for being different and tried to suppress her intuition. But as a teenager, she grew too tired of hiding her truth. One school night, she took her mother aside and made a confession. She was going to kill herself. White Wind felt it was the only way to put an end to her pain and suffering. However, she wanted to say goodbye to her mom first. She told Barbara she could no longer actively deny who she truly felt she was at her core. It's possible that White Wind's secrecy and overall self-concealment were linked to these suicidal thoughts. According to a U.S. National Library of Medicine study titled Self-Concealment and Suicidal Behaviors, secret-keeping can be conceptualized as a form of behavioral inhibition associated with stress-related health problems and suicidal behaviors. Self-concealment could increase hopelessness and suicidal ideation. Luckily, White Wind found a way to relieve herself of this burden. Confessing these suicidal thoughts to her mother gave Barbara a chance to offer White Wind the support she needed. Once White Wind had someone on her side, she felt she could live out loud as a seer. She even called herself something of a goddess, a sacred woman with the power to guide and protect. After White Wind decided to come out and live her truth, she said, the release of years of built-up tension surrounding this issue was striking. I immediately heard the laughter within me of those who so often taught me from the subtle realms. This allowed me to trust in the innocence of my heritage down to my very cells. This was my initiation into the role of being a servant to the world. Accepting her calling as a seer gave White Wind faith. She claimed that within the subtle realm, the spiritual plane from which gut instincts, hunches, and dreams were born, she had always been called Daughter of the White Wind. So she asked her mother to call her White Wind. Empowered by her new name, she was more determined than ever to help those in need. After graduating high school, White Wind sought out a career in counseling and moved to California to attend Azusa Pacific University. Around 1976, 22-year-old White Wind graduated with her M.A. in psychology. Once she obtained her license, she opened a practice in the San Francisco Bay Area. White Wind got married while attending school, but little is known about her first husband. However, we do know their union wasn't a happy one. In 1977, when White Wind was just 23 years old, the couple divorced. Two years later, she married her second husband, John Joseph Musumici. It wasn't long before she gave birth to their first two children, John and Nicole. Though she was raising a family, White Wind continued building her psychology practice, but her work as a traditional therapist was mundane and uninspiring. She just wasn't experiencing the magic she'd anticipated when she dreamt of running her own business. So she told her family she needed to advance spiritually. In the early 1980s, they packed their things and moved to Hawaii. As someone who hid her inner self from others for so long, White Wind felt drawn to the practice of Huna, which meant secret in Hawaiian. She wanted to study the ancient techniques of Huna spirituality with the Kilo Kilo and Kahunas, the spiritual leaders and shamans who perform rituals of divination and prescience. 
the mystical art of Huna enabled her to tap into her sapience, the source of her innermost wisdom. In Huna, there are no secrets because the practice was born in ancient times when secrets did not yet exist. While studying with the kahunas, White Wind claimed she was finally recognized as the seer and shaman she knew she could be. Satisfied with her growth, White Wind and her family returned to California sometime around 1982. Finally settled, she focused again on her practice, but still something felt amiss. White Wind had real trouble with what she called the discrepancy between traditional psychology's frame and her increasing shamanic understanding. It maddened her that traditional psychology placed no value on her mystical abilities. She refused to hide behind what she saw as traditional psychology's close-minded approach any longer. In 1983, 29-year-old White Wind abandoned her marriage, family, and child counseling practice altogether. She knew there had to be a way to put her perceived gifts to use as a spiritual counselor. That's when it occurred to her to use a composite approach. Composite belief structures pulled ideas from various sources and combined them to create a new sort of Frankenstein philosophy. They took an arm from this religion and a leg from that organization. For example, one could meld the notions that meditation leads to enlightenment, natural objects like rivers have a spirit, and Christ died for humanity's sins. This would be a composite system piecing together aspects of Buddhism, Native American animism, and traditional Christianity. Similarly, with composite therapy, White Wind could blend the bits and pieces of the mysticism she liked with the barred aspects of traditional therapy that worked for her. Plus, she could ditch the ideas she didn't find effective. The idea of authoring a new composite doctrine made real sense to White Wind. So she started to call herself a patchwork shaman, Relying on her inner wisdom, she crafted brand new methods of self-discovery. White Wind practiced dream coaching and hypnotherapy. She took every opportunity to position herself as an expert, even when she had no formal training. For example, as the daughter of people suffering with addiction, she walked around claiming to be an expert in realigning addictive family systems. But she was never really schooled in such a specialty. The expertise she projected was false. White Wind didn't care to focus on diagnosing people's root issues. Instead, she concentrated on desire. Her goal was to construct a circle of trust geared toward helping people realize their dreams. She knew she could inspire patients to grow their sense of joyful adventure. Then, clarity struck. She needed a physical space, a sanctuary for those who felt compelled to practice self-discovery on a deeper level. To obtain the best results, patients needed to be free of life's distractions. This motivated her to create an actual center for conscious living. In 1983, White Wind founded Friends Landing in her Bay Area community. But in 1985, 31-year-old White Wind sought to expand her center, so she found the perfect spot. It was a 60-acre plot of land in the Mackenzie River Valley, just outside of Springfield, Oregon. The hillside location was just right for the self-help retreats she'd conceived, but she didn't have the funds to buy the land, so she turned to her biggest supporter once again, her mother, Barbara. Somehow, Barbara was able to secure enough of a loan to purchase the property, though it wasn't easy. She would later declare bankruptcy. In any event, White Wind, John Joseph, and their children moved yet again, and this time, Grandma Barbara joined them. 
The land was heaven on earth. In such a beautiful location, she could carry out her dream work, practice hypnotic therapies, and lead healing wilderness retreats. She dubbed the compound Friends Landing. But the altruistic name was nothing more than marketing. In reality, Friends Landing was a cover for the more nefarious aspects of her practice. Every decision was about keeping non-believers out. With nobody to challenge her within the compound's walls, she could rule it like her own tiny kingdom. She was still that little girl playing therapist, but with real people instead of dolls. White Wind painted a picture of Friends Landing as a peaceful, scholarly campus for creative thinkers. But in reality, the people at Friends Landing weren't her patients. They were her prey. Next, one of White Wind Swan Fisher's loyal patients accuses her of sexual battery during treatment. Hi, it's Greg. Have you heard the newest Spotify original from Parcast? It's called Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, and it uncovers the most damning details surrounding history's most high-profile leaders. Every Tuesday through the 2020 election, host Ashley Flowers shines a light on the darker side of the American presidency. From torrid love affairs and contemptible corruption to shocking cover-ups and even murder, she'll expose the personal and professional controversies you may never knew existed. You'll hear some wildly true stories about presidents such as Richard Nixon, George Washington, Teddy Roosevelt, and more. Very Presidential highlights the exploits you never learned in history class, but probably should have. Family drama, personal vices, dirty secrets. These presidents may have run, but they most certainly can't hide. Follow Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. In 1985, 31-year-old therapist-turned-shaman White Wind Swan Fisher founded the Oregon location of Friends Landing. The composite group practiced aspects of New Age mysticism, Huna spirituality, traditional psychology, and a new belief system White Wind authored called Spherical Reality. According to White Wind, Spherical Reality was a synergistic expansion of the knowledge of psychology and religion. It offered a unique lens through which a person could examine the human experience. She broke down spherical reality's tenets into four quadrants, silent rumination, articulating an authentic life, interaction of the senses, and witnessing. Witnessing was the most important quadrant to White Wind. She saw it as a celebration of true wisdom. When combined with other quadrants, witnessing catapulted both therapist and patient past the limits of traditional counseling. They entered the realm of spiritual counseling, which could unlock a deeper, more stimulated consciousness. Having wrapped her brain around spherical reality, she needed to bring students to her school of consciousness. She already had a few devotees, several of whom worked in the local youth counseling community. 
Others worked at nearby rehab facilities. White Wind engaged them as an army of recruiters. Whenever they met a stranger in need of guidance, the recruiters invited them to Friends Landing. Once a new recruit arrived, they were introduced to the Friends Landing class system. White Wind was at the top of the pyramid as a sort of principal. She was also the primary spiritual counselor, instructor of transpersonal concepts, and the group's official shaman. The second tier of command consisted of White Wind's certified counselors. They'd each completed a special apprenticeship program and led most of the workshops, discussions, and meditations. Friends Landing apprentices were the third tier of members and the group's senior classmen. Apprentices served White Wind for years at a time. Once they proved their understanding of her power of vision, they earned certification and became counselors. Finally, at the bottom of the Friends Landing barrel were the associates. They were the new recruits. They received little or no compensation when they worked the land or apprenticed. Mostly, they spent time trying to attract new associates. Counselors, apprentices, and associates were further divided into small groups called circles. Circles met every other week as a microcosm of Friends Landing. In circles, associates were safe to reveal their truest selves in front of the mirrors of their peers. Circles were devised to keep members interested and enrolled in upcoming workshops, which meant more money for White Wind. By 1990, 36-year-old White Wind had figured out that she could make a killing by hosting a series of dream camps at the compound. These were two-week-long retreats that cost almost $1,800 to attend. Despite the exorbitant cost, campers were required to provide their own towels, bedding, and other incidentals. Food was also not included in the cost. Plus, they were told to sleep outside or bring a tent. The other main source of income was the year-long Spherical Reality Certification Program. Becoming White Wind Certified in Spherical Reality meant one received an education in what she called the synergistic expansion of the knowledge of psychology and religion. If a member was certified, they could theoretically open their own sort of counseling franchise and help spread White Wind's philosophies. Those interested in certification had to pay a fee of $5,000. But if someone enrolled in certificate classes, they were also required to attend at least one dream camp during their year of study, and most attended more. True to Friends Landing form, the $5,000 spherical reality fee did not include the camp sessions. Once they paid for their fees, dream campers could attend workshops designed to unfold them. Unfolding was White Wind's way of undoing socially conditioned habits to get to the core of a person's soul. White Wind led these seminars to help members manifest right action in their lives. She taught associates that when they found harmony in their lives, they'd feel as if their decisions were a right fit. She wanted her devotees to recognize the feeling. While this sounds generous on her part, she required a public display of gratitude from each patient when they succeeded. In practice, any time an associate made progress, the group showered White Wind with praise. Furthermore, all Dream Camp testimonials were videotaped and archived. Perhaps this was to capture the accolades bestowed on White Wind as a fuel for her ego. Most members accepted the recording as a way for White Wind to study their cases, but it was also how she ensured their loyalty. She could always remind forgetful associates who the keeper of their secrets was. The most anticipated ritual at Dream Camp was the bonfire. 
Here, attendees express the depths of their feelings to a crowd of like-minded witnesses. Whitewind described the ritual as a spiritual, shamanic, and educational event. The bonfire was quite the spectacle. Come nightfall, campers started a drumming circle around a giant blaze. Other than the fire, the only light was the flashing red dot of the video camera's indicator. One by one, members entered the drum circle to express their anger. When an associate stepped forward, others role-played the loved ones or family members who had abused them at one time or another. But sometimes the bonfire wasn't enough to get to the bottom of someone's problems. In special circumstances, White Wind offered private sessions. She claimed some patients required a more intimate therapeutic experience. In reality, there were just some patients White Wind wanted to be alone with. One such patient, who for privacy reasons we'll call Lane Chef, was pulled aside by White Wind in 1990 and offered special one-on-one -on -one meetings. Lane was truly moved. She came to White Wind because she suffered from several mental illnesses. She complained of relentless emotional pain. After analyzing her, White Wind decided the most productive treatment required transference. According to Pepperdine University clinical professor Dr. Ryan Howes, transference is the psychoanalytic concept where feelings for one person are applied or transferred to another. It's the idea that something from the patient's world of internal object relations can be repeated in a here and now interaction with the therapist, but the patient is unaware of it. Transference tactics were often employed at Friends Landing. During the bonfires, members transferred their anger at those who'd harmed them in the past onto other members. In Lane's case, White Wind personally stepped into this role by playing Lane's mother. Lane transferred her most vulnerable thoughts about her mom onto White Wind. Transference only worked when a patient had developed a deep trust in their therapist. And Lane trusted White Wind implicitly. At first, the session seemed textbook. But according to malpractice documents, the more comfortable Lane became with Whitewind, the more she transferred the infantile sexual fantasy she had for her parents onto her. Lane was extraordinarily susceptible to Whitewind's inappropriate suggestions. During their sessions, Lane was in a regressed state, acting like herself at five or six years old. She reacted to Whitewind as she would have reacted to her mother as a little girl, with a desperate need for loving approval. Unconsciously, she even expressed sexual feelings towards Whitewind. Though it was in no way morally sound, Whitewind couldn't help but revel in the attention. It was later claimed that Whitewind would drink during her sessions with Lane, and she would reportedly whisper that she loved little Laney. She cared for her more than anyone else did, more than anyone else ever would. That was why she was the only one who could help Lane, White Wind's love was the only thing that could heal her. She allegedly asked the patient to describe what she needed from her mommy. Lane said she wanted to be held. White Wind smirked, and then she placed her finger on the patient's knee. She asked if this was okay. Off Lane's hesitant nod, White Wind traced her knee. Then she dragged her finger up the inside of Lane's thigh. For transference patients, attempting to act on their feelings isn't uncommon. However, it's the therapist's ethical duty to remain neutral and prohibit such interactions. But according to the aforementioned malpractice documents, 
the inappropriate therapist exploits the situation and begins sexualizing the therapy for her own benefit. For a therapist to engage in any type of sexual contact with a patient would be almost identical in its harmful effect to a parent engaging in a sexual relationship with a child. On multiple occasions, White Wind used their therapy sessions to seduce Lane. She engaged in repeated acts of sexual contact with her patient. These acts included instances of genital fondling, masturbation, and oral sex. Lane didn't understand that White Wind was preying on her. In fact, she grew convinced White Wind was the only person who could meet her emotional and intimate needs. This led her to reveal her deepest secrets. As with any patient-doctor relationship, the doctor was in a position of power and extreme influence over the patient. White Wind repeatedly manipulated Lane to serve her sexual and psychological needs. She abused the transference to Lane's great detriment. And the minute White Wind's needs changed, she distanced herself from her neediest client. In 1993, 39-year-old White Wind dropped Lane as a patient without explanation. White Wind's own potential mental health issues caused her to become what clinical psychologist George K. Simon refers to as a predatory aggressor. In his article, Serious Abusers and Psychology's Failure to Understand Them, Simon said, predatory aggressors consider themselves distinctly superior to those who possess empathy and conscience. The way they see it, folks with a heart are an inferior breed, the perfect patsies, and their rightful prey. They enjoy toying with, manipulating, using, and abusing others at will, and they're often adept at concealing their true nature from us, being capable of mimicking normality and exuding surface-level charm. To White Wind, it's possible Lane wasn't a patient in need of healing. She was easy, gullible prey. Lane needed real medical attention. Instead, White Wind mimicked the concerned psychologist character to serve her sexual appetite. Then, once she had enough, she moved on. Meanwhile, Lane found a new therapist who could actually help her. A year after ceasing treatment at Friends Landing, Lane filed a civil suit claiming White Wind had intentionally and negligently inflicted emotional distress through her work. Lane also claimed damages for medical malpractice, sexual battery, fraud, and negligent misrepresentation. White Wind was apoplectic. This lawsuit could ruin her reputation. It threatened the very existence of Friends Landing. She had no idea how to respond to Lane's allegations. Without a valid malpractice policy or any pertinent assets to cover damages, White Wind asked her spirit guides for some kind of miracle. She waited with bated breath to hear their voices, but feared she'd only be met with silence. Up next, White Wind faces the sexual battery charges brought against her. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. 
Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now back to the story. In 1994, 40-year-old shaman therapist White Wind Swan Fisher was charged with sexual battery and other abuses by one of her patients. With no real defense to fall back on, White Wind prayed for a miracle. As fate would have it, she got one. The case was thrown out during the initial investigatory phase. Lane requested the dismissal herself. This may have meant she and Whitewin settled. There's no way to know why they came to an outside agreement, but Whitewin certainly had motivation to keep the whole thing hush-hush. Still, the civil suit's reveal of Whitewin's ethical misconduct shook the ground under her feet. Her secret manipulation of Lane was outed, and even though some members of Friends Landing stayed loyal, Whitewind was unraveling. She isolated herself from her associates and entrusted a few faithful counselors to take over most of the workshops. While on her self-imposed hiatus from Friends Landing retreats, Whitewind started spending more time with Ben Fisher, a quiet farmer who tended her property. In 1994, she declared a second bankruptcy, but she also divorced her second husband. Soon after the separation, she returned to her life at the compound with a new attitude. Then in 1996, 42-year-old Whitewind married her third husband, Ben. Whitewind ultimately ratcheted up her aggressive behavior. She took to publicly humiliating her apprentices, often for no reason at all. One night, Whitewind reportedly lost it on an apprentice who set salt and pepper shakers a few inches from where she'd ordered them to be placed. One might expect an enlightened shaman to simply move the condiments to the desired spot. But Whitewind had lost all self-control. Every reaction was an overreaction. She emphatically shook the shakers at the apprentice and screamed until he was brought to tears. The stress of the civil suit and the divorce may have irritated Whitewind's possible depression. In their study, Relationship of Anger Attacks with Depression, researchers Nitesh Painuli, Pratap Sharin, and Surendra Kumar Mathu said, Anger attacks are characterized by a rapid onset of intense anger and a crescendo of autonomic arousal occurring in response to trivial provocations. Anger attacks have been found to occur more often in depressed patients than in healthy persons. Some members took note of Whitewind's episodic anger, and their families became quite concerned. According to one father's story, one such member was a young man we'll call Rex. As a teen, Rex struggled with substance abuse and enrolled in rehab. While there, he met therapist Martin Starr, who convinced him to attend college near Friends Landing. In 1997, Starr introduced Rex to Whitewind. In turn, she invited Rex to be her apprentice. 
When Rex moved to Friends Landing in 1998, White Wind basically adopted him. She made a spot for him in her family's trailer. Rex called his folks when he needed money for workshops and retreats, but they refused to pay. So White Wind called to ask for the money herself. When Rex's parents still refused to pay his fees, White Wind erupted in anger. Eventually, they relented, but they only agreed to send the funds if Rex came home for a visit. Upon arrival, his family ambushed Rex with an intervention. It seemed to work. After meeting with a cult deprogrammer, Rex told his mom and dad he was just going to go back to Friends Landing to pick up his things. But the minute he reached the compound, White Wind called his parents and told them he wouldn't be leaving Friends Landing. However, Rex's folks didn't give up. They kept calling, but White Wind always answered them with nastiness and aggression. She told them Rex was no longer their son. Rex followed her lead. He attacked his parents for having no dignity. He called them traitors and liars. Every word he spoke sounded like it was coming from White Wind's mouth, and in a way, it was. It's possible White Wind feared Rex's departure because he knew too much about her. He must have heard countless conversations about Friends Landing's shady finances. It's possible she confided in him about Lane's case as well. Plus, she just couldn't let another apprentice go. At her urging, in 1998, Rex filed charges against his parents for stalking. The years dragged on, but his parents never gave up. They spent the next decade educating other families on the dangers of brainwashing and the legal ways to try and fight against cults should a loved one fall prey to one. They wanted the people who lived near Friends Landing to know that if their son could become White Wind's victim, others could too. They papered Eugene, Oregon with flyers, exploiting White Wind's multiple bankruptcies and how she reneged on millions of dollars in debts to attorneys, accountants, and friends. They even informed White Wind's neighbors of the sexual battery charges once filed against her. White Wind possibly feared nothing more than having her deviousness outed to the public. She tried to defend herself by using her ex-husband as a scapegoat, claiming he squandered their earnings and manipulated her books. She also said the bankruptcies were the result of sabotage against Friends Landing, but there was no information to back her claims. The truth was, White Wind's liabilities at the time of bankruptcy totaled a shocking $1,103,620. Her assets, however, only came to $7,600. She said the IRS had forgiven her debts, but there was no evidence of this either. In 2004, 50-year-old White Wind allegedly forced Rex to sue his parents. She was sick of having her finances and affairs publicized. The case's outcome was unclear, but Rex reinstated contact with his family soon after the trial. However, it seems that he still remained at Friends Landing. White Wind needed all the support she could get. In the trial's aftermath, her mother Barbara died. She'd been White Wind's only source of comfort. In her grief, White Wind became unbearable, and Rex couldn't help but see the darker sides of her personality. By 2008, Rex reached his limit. White Wind published a website that referred to Rex's parents as mentally ill. She allegedly had Friends Landing associates fill the site with hateful comments about them, and without Rex's consent, she signed his name as the webpage's sponsor. For Rex, this was the final straw. 
he escaped the captivity of the compound and returned to his family to receive proper psychological care. After his departure, White Wind appeared to struggle keeping Friends Landing going. She faced multiple issues around the compound's breach of zoning laws and had trouble recovering from her bankruptcies. She was even married and divorced again. It's unclear if Friends Landing still exists today, but there are a few associates who have branched off and started their own businesses, offering transpersonal shamanic experiences. In the last decade, White Wind alluded to being on disability and suffering from some mysterious disease. Perhaps these were some of the reasons the original Friends Landing lost its steam. Though there aren't details about whether or not the group still meets, White Wind seems to have escaped her past. In fact, it looks like she built herself a whole new life. Today, she goes by the name of Anahata Graceland. Instead of wrangling witnesses, apprentices, and mystic counselors, she wrangles dogs. White Wind breeds royal Frenchal bulldogs and teaches the art of interspecies communication. It's possible the eight-year-old girl who loved to counsel her troll dolls really did have the best of intentions. Maybe she wanted to help the lost, sad, and spiritually wounded follow their dreams. But as an adult, White Wind let power, lust, and greed make all her decisions. She abused and manipulated those who believed she had something special into thinking she was the answer to all of their woes. There's no doubt she ruined the lives of the very people she pledged to help. Thanks again for tuning in to Cults. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on White Wind Swan Fisher, amongst the many sources we used, we found Dream Camp Became My Nightmare and My Son, White Wind and Friends Landing by the Cult Education Institute, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Cults, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Cults on Spotify, just open the app and type Cults in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Cults was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Russell Nash with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Cults was written by John Levinson, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon, and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. Hi again, it's Greg. Before I go, I wanted to remind you to check out the new Spotify original from Parcast, Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers. Every Tuesday through the 2020 election, host Ashley Flowers shines a light on the darker side of the American presidency, exposing wildly true stories about history's most high-profile leaders. There's torrid love affairs, shocking blackmail schemes, and even murder. I can't recommend the show enough. To hear more, follow Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>